This is the boys podcast from TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about the boys season two, episode five. We got to go now. I just got off the phone with Butcher and I think something might be wrong. What would make you think that? He was nice. Tell me everything he said. Welcome back, fellow boys and girls. We're on The Boys Season 2, Episode 5. We gotta go now. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow boys and girls. Yes, I am one of your other hosts, John. I'm about to do my trick. Squeak, squeak. (laughs) (laughs) And rounding out the trio of podcasters, I am Chris. And I'm not going to give you a rendition of a Louis Louis. Oh, no, we gotta go. (laughs) Excellent. Well done, Chris. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nope, nope. Excellent. In reference to the uh, the title of the episode, Chris? Yes, I just couldn't fit in the now okay. part. It's, it was close. It's close. It's very close. It's very close. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, yeah, we're on episode five of our coverage of The Boys, the eight-episode series, our second season uh, on Amazon Prime. So um, quite a bit into the series now. Only three more episodes left. I know. It's gone really quickly. Um, really enjoyed it. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am looking forward, though, to the the next three episodes. I reckon if the end of this episode is anything to go by, it's going to get pretty, pretty out there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Uh, if you're missing The Boys or if you want some more of The Boys, guess what I found last week, guys? I found an audiobook version of... Uh, of the first volume, the omnibus of the boys, it's about four or five hour audio drama version of the comics, and it's actually very good. There's one uh, notable exception in the cast, and when you get to that person, you will recognise them. Uh, but it's not one of the main cast of the show. All the re- all of them are cast very well, and they act very well in the in the parts. But um, I forgot how much more gruesome and much more adult the book actually is in comparison to this show. I was really surprised. There's quite a few things that are in there that, that I'm going, oh, okay. I don't know whether I was prepared for uh, prepared to go back to this. I thought it was uh, a little, yeah, a little more gruesome than I was expecting in some places, which is bizarre for an audiobook. Yeah, I was trying to think of how do they make squelching sounds. Yep. Just like, okay. Yep. Full, full Boot goes through head. Yeah, full cast <laughs> audio, full uh, full uh, sound design, everything. Uh, you can get that over on Audible. Uh, just go and search for the boys, uh, Gareth Ennis, and you'll be able to find it. It's uh, yeah, worth checking out if you have four or five hours to spare uh, on, a, on a commute, or if you're working from home and trying to uh, listen to some interesting stuff other than podcasts. There you go. Yeah, nice. Just remember to pause it before you go on any uh, conference calls, because that in the background could be very weird. Yeah, and I watermelon smashing. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> suggest headphones. Uh, Without a dash, without a dash. Absolutely, yeah. No, it sounds pretty good. But uh, remember, fellow boys and girls, you can also subscribe to TV Podcast Industries over at tvpodcastindustries.com. Or you can subscribe, leave a review, rate us over on any drunk or sober podcast player of your choice. Please uh, head on over there because sharing the podcast is, dare I say it, sharing the love. Yes, or the rough sex, as as per this episode. <laughs> or yeah. the squeaky toy. Well, the squeaky, squeaky toy. toy. Squeaky yeah. toy yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to help us keep the lights on, the mics going, and everything in between, you can head on over to patreon.com slash tvpodcast where you can support us for a dollar and a bit. 
whatever you like, uh, because, hey, we would appreciate you. Mm -hmm. As much as Terror appreciates Homelander's squeaky toy. Yes, we appreciate you all equally. Thank you so much uh, for all the support as well. Uh, let's get into the episode details for episode five of season two of The Boys. Uh, the episode was written by Ellie Monahan, who co-wrote the penultimate episode of season one, uh, Self-Preservation Society, so stayed on board for the writing uh, writer's room of season two. Kind of cool. Yeah, nice stuff. Mm-hmm. And the episode was directed by Batan Silva. Uh, it's his first episode of The Boys. He's a Mexican director who's worked on TV shows like Mayans MC and SWAT. But he's also an assistant director who's been working in movies for years, including Desperado, Babel, Clear and Present Danger, and Titanic, interestingly. Cool. Yeah. Cool stuff. Yeah. Good, uh, I always called it Babel. Babel? Yeah. Terror of Babel or Terror of Babel? Terror of Babel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pronunciation. Yeah, potato, <laughs> potato, <laughs> tomato, <go>. tomato, babel, <laughs> babel. Yeah, I think you need two Bs for it to be babel, but I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe maybe an L-E. Uh, that's all semantics, all semantics. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with the synopsis for this episode of The Boys? Sure. The Seven begin filming their upcoming epic, Dawn of the Seven, with Joss rewrites. And while A-Train doesn't want to leave the production, nor the Seven... Maeve just can't wait to get off the set as Homelander turns the screw on her and Eleanor. Still reeling from Becca's rejection of him, Billy Butcher intimates he is leaving the boys and heads to his other family, Aunt Judy, the dealer, and his four-legged friend, Terror. Tracked to his aunties by Mother's Milk and Huey, he is persuaded to stay after an encounter with Black Noir in Judy's taffy room. Back on set, Starlight obtains information about Stormfront from her laptop, and Stormfront gets her claws into Homelander after she helps him out of a sticky situation following a dreadful PR disaster, and then gets her claws into him some more. <laughs> nice. Lots of uh, single entendres there, John. Well done. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and yes, I think the PR disaster could have been even worse, as we saw in the episode. Well, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. I'm sure we're going to get into it. Let's kick in with our protagonist moment. Chris, do you want to kick us off with your boys moment for the episode? Do you guys want a happy ending? Well, it ain't that kind of massage parlor. <laughs> Straight up, um, this was one of the really best parts for me, and it was really just Butcher and Huey's heart to heart, mm -hmm. if we want to call it that. Um, all the while, initially that first scene when they are in the house and we, we start to kind of get this opening initial change in the, the, the actual, I hate to use that term, growth mm -hmm. of Butcher's character. Um, so he does kind of, he starts with, this is not going, like, as I said, you want the happy ending. It ain't that kind of massage parlor. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of, I was like, okay, this is where he's going to shut it down. This is the end. And he, it almost is mm -hmm. um, until we do get that kind of black noir reveal. Yeah. And then it does continue. And you start to see how through kind of connecting the dots through his auntie and all about Lenny and just that growth. Up until the the, the big fight, mm -hmm. if we're call fight, it that, <laughs> can, you, can, can we the the explosive conclusion mm -hmm. uh, of it? <laughs> we do we do see like initially it was like okay, Huey is the canary, 
Mm-hmm. And that is the canary in the coal mine. Like We need him to know when you're going too far. And we discussed that in previous episodes and kind of what that means to Butcher and the rest of the boys. Yeah. But here we actually find there's more to it. That he, it is that he is... Huey is too much like his dearly departed brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how that is actually affecting Butcher. It, up until this point, it's been affecting him negatively. Yeah. That he just wants to escape that reminder to a degree yeah. escape that reminder because Huey kind of reminds him too much the actions remind him too much mm-hmm. but at the end it's actually that reminder that is played out again in a different kind of form where we got the story about Lenny and how Butcher kind of quote unquote saved him um, or vice versa yeah. and then we see it replayed with Huey and Black Noir and Butcher stepping in yeah. and kind of re- history repeating itself. Mm. Um, so we kind of do get a happy ending. It's not the happy ending. It's not a, a finale. Yeah. Um, it's more of a, a end of act one. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Billy, Billy seemed like he was very much ready to walk away uh, from everything here, from the opening of the episode where we had that fight scene in the, uh, in the, uh, rock bar, I guess we call it the metal bar, yeah. uh, where he throws the first punch and just uh, creates this massive brawl that's going on, which was an awesome scene. But you can see from that moment onwards, what Billy's trying to do here is he's now ready to give up everything. So it's not that he's going to be going off to this beautiful place and Baja or wherever he's he's going to head off to. It's that he's willing to die now and wants somebody to take him out, basically. So uh, we yeah. see that throughout the episode. There's n- numerous moments where he stands up to Black Noir trying to get him to kill him because Black Noir could just slice through <laughs> Billy instantly, basically. And he's constantly standing in front of him, putting himself in the line of fire, pretty much because his entire reason for being and his entire reason for setting up the boys is gone now. His, his wife that he was going after, Becca, has... Uh, pushed him away, turned him down on the offer of saving him, and now he's kind of going, well, there's no real point in any of this. And he's also, as you say, Chris, he's thinking back to that time that his brother, who's very like Huey, someone that he couldn't save, well, there's no point in him staying around. He wasn't able to save his wife. What's the point in him being around Huey and saving him? So, yeah, there's lots lots going on with Billy. Yeah, I I really liked um, when Huey's kind of saying to Mother's Milk, well, he said he was going off-grid to Argentina. He was nice. He called me his canary, and it's like, Mildred's Milk, is there's something definitely wrong. Absolutely, tell me um, every single and, yeah, word he says. <laughs> I just thought that was really, really good. And yeah, I thought, I really like this move through for, for Billy Butcher. Um, that, you know, ultimately by the end, he's appreciative of what he does have with the boys, with Huey, and as well, Mother's Milk and Frenchie, and maybe the female. But mm. she's slightly gone off grid herself, I suppose, in this episode. And I do like Aunt Judy here, and you know the interjection of, of Lenny's story, his his weedy younger brother. Mm. Um, He's like you, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really weedy. Um, I, I, I really liked it. I liked all these little moments, yeah. um, and hopefully, I think this really inserts Billy Butcher back into the boys. Yeah. Because for the first couple of episodes, obviously he's still coming back from the previous uh, season in in terms of with the revelation of Homelander, the kid, Mm -hmm. and where his wife Becca is. And, you know, then he gets obsessed with finding Becca. So he is slightly um, separated from the boys. So, yeah, this was really good. I I liked 
I liked his moment with with Huey mm-hmm. a lot here, just because of the tension that has been building up between the the two of them over the the season so far. Yeah. So typically, and I know our long time listeners will kind of say, "But Chris, there was a whole Basil exposition scene." Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I didn't mind it, and I I I think this I I think this was. I, I want to give a hot tip to the writer's room and the writer of this episode because it didn't feel forced. Right. It it, it actually played out. I don't know. For me, it just it actually it, it it was weaved into the scenes perfectly. Right. Yeah. In that it didn't feel like they needed to kind of go let's pause everything and then give you this heart to heart raison d'etre of kind of like here's why Butcher actually is going to grow and care. Mm-hmm. So that for me was one of the biggest that they were able to from start to finish show that this man had had a single goal driving force. He's lost that goal. He was going to give up. And then through his connection to the boys and through Huey, he's found a new goal. Yeah. He's found a new kind of guiding star. So I, I'm just happy to see now that we're, we're kind of to a degree with the boys. We're back to step one. Yeah. We're back at the beginning mm-hmm. almost. But everything else has continued on. So... They are now reformed. The boys and the female, not yet, but the boys probably by the end of the ne- next mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, with that driving, that opposing force of the seven is going to be there. Yeah, but yeah, so that was kind of my main boys moment, main protagonist moment. Excellent. Yeah, I just just one little thing that I just thought was really interesting about this these moments with Billy Butcher. Anybody else find it weird? Like this is the main character of the show, who's the big violent, but a, a guy going after all the soups for the last two seasons. This t- character stereotypically is the kind of person that doesn't have any family at all. I found it quite interesting that he has his aunt that he goes and visits who's taking care of his dog. His parents are on the flight over. He used to have a younger brother. It's just this whole revelation that he actually does have loads of people in his life because he never once mentioned them. And over and over again, in fact, to Becca, he was going, you saved my life. I had nothing before you. And you kind of, this this felt like a massive revelation that he has a whole family that are all still around yeah. and all still alive, you know, all still care for him what his parents do anyway. They're flying over to see him. But he him. doesn't like his dad. But he doesn't like his dad. Absolutely, yeah. Um so I just thought it was I just thought it was interesting. I don't know why. I think it's just so stereotypical in movies where you get this kind of violent uh protagonist in the show or in a movie. And they usually have no family at all, so they're able to go out and do whatever they want to, and, and uh, not fear for their life because they have they leave no one behind. But he has loads of people to leave behind. The, it's the Frank Castle situation, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. exactly. Like you say, we've killed off your whole support structure so that you can be the lone gunman, the crazy psycho. Exactly. Um, but yeah, he's just the crazy psycho who has this huge support structure. Yeah doesn't like having a support structure. Exactly. And if Billy Butcher is any comic character, it is the Punisher, right? Yes. That's probably the biggest analogous character for uh, for Billy Butcher. Um, John, do you, or Chris, have you finished there on your uh, first point? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think that that's the end. So cool. let's move it on, boys. I suppose uh, it's a really quick point, um, and it is one of uh, Billy Butcher's other support structures, which is his doggy, Terra. Um, little Terra. Just, you know, obviously getting his little cuddly toy with the little squ- uh, squeak in it, um, and then finally coming back to his aunties where you've got his dog terror mm-hmm. and i suppose the reason why i'm bringing this up is i read the first kind of compiled volume of the boys comic books mm-hmm. and terror is right there 
he's as irreverent as his owner, uh, Billy. And so um, it was great to see the uh, terror here on screen mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, even just them having that little walk in uh, the auntie's estate where he's trying to sort of get back uh, into the vibe, I suppose, a bit Billy Butcher mm-hmm. um reconnecting with his auntie. And um, that's it, really, right. in, in effect. I mean, we have terror as well, sort of at least contemplating about helping to save the day in the big black noir fight as well. But mm-hmm. I suspect a British bulldog probably ain't that effective right. against someone like black noir. Yeah. Uh, so having the dog there, everything that Chris was talking about with Huey uh, and Butcher mm-hmm. and with the auntie and the story of, of Lenny, having th- that real constant for Billy Butcher, which is his four-legged friend terror yeah. was just helped seal all of that for me um and i thought it was really good yeah uh, and i don't think even though i know just before we we started up the podcast you were saying that he was in season one mm-hmm. i just don't remember that at all i think there were hints of of the dog terror but i can't remember seeing him but maybe he was in season one but if not then it's also just the first time that we we do get terror on screen this is terrible john's put us all on the spot because myself and chris are completely convinced that terror was in an episode the first episode i think of the first season i'm the one that's I'm probably convinced. wrong i'm absolutely convinced of it but i just always remember the hint of terror was there because i remember us having that conversation that um you know you don't want to work with kids and animals yeah. on a show so in the flashbacks uh, Butcher's flashbacks that, with Becca. Yes, now I remember. That is where we originally see Terror mm-hmm. sitting in the, the, the apartment. It's in multiple flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was thinking about his previous life, we were never told where Terror went to. No, I definitely remember that. Yeah, now that, now that you say it, Chris, I definitely remember yeah, Terror I do in now. the background. Now, there we go. Yeah. Right, we got him. But that is where we discussed. Why Terror is really important is in the comic books, Terror is the person that Billy shares everything with. Yeah. Billy constantly is talking to Terror when he's on his own and wants to get something off his mind. It's Terror that he talks to. So it's if you're only going to be able to use a dog in the show because it's very difficult to train a dog, very difficult, difficult to film with an animal, if you're only going to use it one time, this is the time because this is where Billy needs that interaction most basically so uh, so i really like that you see him having the com- having the the walk in the street with the dog he sees a guy going past him and old, an old man going past him and that's where he questions his existence more than any other point that we've seen billy in the last season and a half he's there going is life even worth living anymore you know he's lost becca he thought he'd grow old with her and now he's just going to grow old and that's it that's all that he has to look forward to is growing old so um so that's the conversation he has with the dog that's why terror is so important i think and that's why i loved the use of of him in yeah. here and he's cute as hell so uh, really nice to see him yeah <laughs> he is he's he's a fun little character i don't know whether i'd like to be anywhere near terror because one word from billy and he just ripped me to shreds basically so uh, so yeah if you are Billy, you want to be near that dog, is what I mean. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's interesting, because in the comic books, Terror is a, such a pivotal character. He is a, he is the the ex, another member of the boys. Mm-hmm. He, he is his own character. We get, like, everything bar speech bubbles and his thoughts uh-huh. kind of thing, because he is talked to as a character. So they, they, they've kind of 
they they started to show that here, as you said, on the walk down the street, but even when he just kind of goes and we see her again for the first time, there in the dog bed, and Billy actually does straight up talk to him like a human. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's great to see him. Excellent. For sure, I think that's why Terra's presence uh, was bigger than the amount of screen time. It, it mm-hmm. helped ground Butcher, it helped with all those little moments that as as Chris said, that exposition with Butcher and, and Auntie Judy, Butcher and Huey, uh, as well as their own little moments together. Um, it was just really, really nice and, and good to see uh, Terra back in and not in a flashback. Exactly, exactly. Very cool, very cool. Um, I'm going to take it on my uh, my boy's moment and my protagonist's moment uh, for the episode. Yep. Um, I think everything really revolves around Billy Butcher in this episode, really. So uh, the other major protagonist that we haven't really talked about too much is is the female uh, and what's happens with what's happening with her at the moment um really surprising moment i thought she was going after uh someone very specifically connected to um to stormfront uh is wh- where i thought this was leading us where we have frenchie following her down the street and she walks into uh this russian bar where the three russians are talking to each other they're talking about hamilton they were talking about being evan hansen um two big musicals in new york uh just thought it was really interesting it felt that those kind of conversations as i said that you would get in tarantino movies uh, where, you, where you have the bad guys talking about really mundane things uh but we have we have Kamiko walking in and using full-on powers with these guys. Um, yeah. I do not remember her being as bulletproof as she is in this scene. I knew that she had powers. I knew that she was she was certainly uh, very high, very strong, and very uh, very had, had good great abilities. But I don't, I don't think I remember seeing anybody point a gun directly at her and shooting her, you know, eight times full force in the chest, and her not reacting at all to it uh, as she rips everybody apart in that room as she goes through. Um, it's a really brutal, violent scene. It really was. Yeah. It reminded me of the scene from when we covered Punisher season two in the Russian uh, gym. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. We went, oh, that was really violent. This one for me was just ripped straight out of a comic book, and I'm using ripped as a fun word because she literally face off yeah Yeah, exactly i literally wanted to see nicholas cage just doing that i am never going to get a cosmetic face peel ever again because (laughs) i just felt this was your cosmetic worst nightmare uh that you put on your cucumbers and the next day you've just got your kind of skeletal uh face um yeah she she ripped that good it felt like a waxing gone wrong or something like that you know um so absolutely also felt terminator like as she went through each of the guys Uh, i think she snaps the second guy's neck i think we don't really see exactly what happens we hear hear cracks he falls to the floor (laughs) the third guy we see him fall to the floor with the butt of the gun planted in his face and that just really felt brutal from her and i think this is what is kind of interesting about about her that she knows exactly who it is that caused the death of her brother right she saw it so she knows that it's stormfront and she's been told by frenchie well there's nothing you can do about it because she's too powerful she will kill you instantly if you try basically so she's now using this new job that she has to go out and take out her vengeance effectively on anybody that's that she's being sent towards interestingly it's sherry that's sending her yeah. on these jobs um, which is you know it, it's for the albanians it, isn't that really intriguing like you know we were wondering earlier on in the season oh where's sherry if, if she's 
kind of on like on again off again girlfriend oh okay she works for the albanians and she's uh she sends out contract killers to uh to kill everybody in the city that uh that the albanians want dead um that was a bit of a surprise that was more of a surprise to me i think <laughs> in some no, in some exactly. ways uh that she was so much more involved in this story with with the female especially because she didn't seem to say anything to frenchy about it it feel like it feels like when frenchy went and told her everything that had gone on with the female she was like oh i better call her and see if i have a job for her now well I, th- I think that was it I-, I felt the whole the three russians i thought that was something to do with trying to get to stormfront mm. um and then you had and i just thought frenchy was late to the the gig effectively and had to follow her through the back of the 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 restaurant or the yeah. takeout and so then when he's following her into the church, mm-hmm. I thought this was just part of this kind of, I don't know what they were doing, tracking, investigating or something. And then it was just that he's kind of shocked and he's totally unaware of this as well. Yeah, yeah. Because it's this is her vent, as you say. So, uh, yeah, it, it was it was good because I think it's great seeing that fallout for her. And certainly, as you say, because... Um, she is literally so um, powerful as Stormfront uh, yeah. compared to Kamiko. However, yeah, I was surprised she was bulletproof. Actually, yeah. I, I that kind of went okay. But I, I, she might be in the comics as well, but I can't remember that either. So M- most people in Villa V are pretty unkillable. Uh, that's kind of where that's uh, true. Yeah, you 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 heal, but you're not kind yeah. of nigh invulnerable. So this seems like a bit of a yeah. step up for her, uh, powers-wise. I'm not opposed to it, because they can just kind of say that she's using her powers more and she's growing, blah, blah, blah. Um, personally, this felt slightly like a missed opportunity for me. So, if essentially, I thought when she was going in that, uh, and she goes, she kills the Russians, she goes in the back, I was expecting another soup terrorist being held being given mm-hmm. compound v and this was her chasing down leads on soup terrorists that stormfront and and x and vought are bringing into the country so it was a continuation of the rising mm-hmm. sun storyline that felt now that we know it was sherry and it was the albanians just trying to knock off some of their competition i'm hoping it comes yeah. back into play because otherwise it's just a we want to show you how powerful female is. It just, it, uh, you also, obviously we get the, the, and we'll probably talk about it in a second, Derek, the, the confrontation between, uh, Frenchie and yeah, yeah. female in the church. But it's just, other than that, it just felt. Yeah. Cause it, like, the, like, to me, it, this isn't a, a piece about how powerful the female is. This is a piece about how broken she is. Uh, now, uh, with everything that's gone on with her not having the ability to go after Stormfront, um, given everything that's going on. And I, I think it comes to a head in that conversation because we have her using her made up sign language that only herself and her brother know. And she's using it to try and tell Frenchie to leave her alone and get out of there. And I think I realized watching the episode at the same moment that as Frenchie actually says the words, he's like, I don't understand what you're talking about because you wouldn't teach me how to communicate with you. So she's lost her brother, the only other person on the planet that's able to communicate with her this way. She's now back to being completely alone here and has been told she can't avenge her brother's death either, even though she has these super magnificent powers that she can rip apart anybody else on the planet, but she can't go after the one person that she wants to go after. So this really felt like 
a big moment for her and a really a, a, another ending, I suppose, almost for her relationship with the boys and particularly with Frenchie. So um, the frustration that comes with Frenchie where he's going like, I'm out, I'm done because you didn't let me in beforehand and now we have no way of yeah. of communicating in any way together. So, uh, so he leaves her as well as her telling him to go away, even though he doesn't understand. He's also leaving her as well. So, yeah, it's interesting. We've got three hours left, mm-hmm. technically, of the the season. So, I'm interested to see how how they bring her back into the fold uh, ahead of the inevitable. My assumption is inevitable confrontation with Stormfront at yeah, the end of the yeah. season. Um, I I could be wrong. Stormfront could be another main lead for season three we know we're getting season three um so it'll be interesting to see but overall i just i'm interested now as you said it's an ending so it's interesting to see how they bring her back into the fold we've brought butcher back in so i'm wondering how will he be will he play a part in bringing her back yeah kind of like i hate i hate the seven and the soups work with us and it was like him him being the the olive branch, if you will, but it'd be interesting to see. And as we mentioned before, the weird thing about that would be he's the one that absolutely hates anybody with V in their body. So, mm-hmm. so would he go with Feedwell and, and bring it back? So, uh, so yeah, it is. It's just an interesting moment for the for her as a character in the show, definitely. Uh, Chris, take us on to our antagonist moments. What happened with the seven that you were interested in this episode? Sure. Uh, so uh, we we joked about the PR disaster, um, but I actually want to talk about Homelander, the war criminal, mm-hmm. um, because this beat for me um, that played out throughout the story was really interesting. Uh, because so we're we we're reintroduced to the seven in the, the film set, and we see Homelander being Homelander, and we get the 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 introduction of the video where he was going after a soup terrorist mm-hmm. and basically yeah. shoots down lands as you would expect, like in a real life, she were to do. Zzz, I, all right, you're dead. Bye. And flies off and not knowing that there was huge collateral damage. Yeah. Now we know from the VOD discussions that 30 to 40% collateral damage is fine, <laughs> but uh, officially it's a 0% policy. Yeah. Um, so the fact that this gets it and we get some, Classic lines that I will not repeat on this podcast, mm-hmm. just around uh, people having cell phones. And I was just like, oh, they're painting him down to be that person, to be that, like, we already knew how egotistical, self-kind of fulfilling prophecy in his head of, like, how he is the god, a god absolutely uh, among men. Uh, but it, it's just now becoming greater and greater throughout this episode. Yeah. So we then it. see uh, the the downfall of this and how he's told, let Vaught handle it, let the PR machine work. Mm-hmm. He does not. So we're reintroduced to Victoria Newman, an analog of Vic the uh, Veep, uh, Vic Newman from the comic books. Uh, so Vic in the comic books is the vice president in uh, in the uh, show, if Victoria is a congresswoman, I believe, but who is against the seven. Whereas mm-hmm. we'll we'll go more into Vic the Veep later in Chris's corner. Um, yep. But we see Homelander come into the anti-Homelander protest and land, and we see that they are riling up. Not, I say riling up, not really. They're protesting. Vought, like as you would expect, when as all this is happening, like over the last 
24, 48 hours since the two mm-hmm. episodes we've seen. Compound V, the truth is out there. There has been a lot of PR disasters. This is the latest. Homelander does come down, flies, and please tell me we all kind of clutched our pearls as he explodes mm-hmm. and you see him cut down waves of the protesters. I, I absolutely thought that's yeah. what he'd just done. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's probably partly to do with uh, with Ashley, who's reacting to everything he's saying at the press conference going, no, 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 please don't get here. Please, you should not be here talking on your own without prep. I told you not to talk without prep kind of thing. And the way that she's reacting, you absolutely feel. I, I definitely agree with you, Chris. I felt he is doing yeah. this right now. He's just given up. He's slaughtering all the people here. Um, it's it's definitely a moment that I thought was going to be uh, the, the big turning point for the seven in the show was that now the American people can see them for who they are. Yeah, that was that, yeah, def- that was definitely for me, and that's exactly what I thought. I thought like, oh my god, they're gonna kill the seven and bring in payback, and that's how they introduce in this other team. And okay. we're going, oh my god, they can do this and then this and then this, because it's mm-hmm. just it was so vivid. If you want to call it, obviously it was yeah, vivid. Absolutely, in his head. Um, absolutely, because it's, it's even it's even good to bring into this point here, Chris, that uh, something that they reference quite a bit in season one, uh, Homelander going over to uh, to kill off this soup in another country, um, unplanned and un uh, unscripted, let's say by Voss, non-sanctioned. Well, I, I'm going to say unscripted yep. because it's specifically what we saw in season one was every time the seven were sent out on a mission, it was completely scripted, yep. cameras where they're in the right angles to promote them doing their job. Whereas this is Homelander going off on his own going, well, I, I did this to save them. And he slaughters this guy gets captured on uh, on video phone because of the collateral damage. And this is what's happened to him from a vault perspective. That's well, you went out and did a mission, which wasn't, which we didn't even give you. We didn't even tell you to go and do that. Yeah. So he's going completely off script. And this is the kind of thing that happens uh, in in terms of the way the vault managed their soups, you know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I really liked the, the PR disaster that ensues with Homelander, but, but mainly because of how it then links him or effectively attaches him to, to Stormfront yes. mm-hmm. um, because of this favor. Um Effectively, Stormfront is, you know, is co-opting Homelander's arrogance along with his symbolism, um, you know, for her ends. Or it, it, that's the way it's looking to me. Mm-hmm. You know, she she's going to make sure that she puts his arrogance, his power, um, his symbolism to the, you know, in the service of um, this narrow minded blinkered nationalism um and, and racism that she absolutely is imbued with mm-hmm. uh, and his is her raison d'etre and i thought that was the the really interesting thing here yep. um and how's she gonna do it PR, as well how's through social, social media, media. Through social media and memes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> going to create a bunch of memes that will appear in your social media feed to convince you that what Homelander did was okay. It was all fake news. We have a uh, we have a version of photographs of the killing that that sparked the whole disaster. We have it marked as fake news. This didn't really happen. This kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think we can all see what that's uh, alluding to or what it's talking about. Very, very, very quickly off topic. I I, I want to shout out Kripke and the writers on this. So, mm-hmm. okay, the, what, the, this 
this season two started. They probably started penning season two uh, eighteen months ago. Initial drafts, and mm-hmm. then so again, these guys are last summer. Yeah. They're, they're clairvoyant. Kind of, yeah, um, exactly. Read, I, 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 want thought... to, I want them to read my tea leaves, my palm, give me the lotto numbers for next year. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> it's just, again, the timing. Uh, we, we've said the same in a lot of the shows we've covered over the last 12 months. Um, mm-hmm. the, it really is amazing how these writers are able to tap into what we did not know would be such a big issue in the future. Um, so just, yeah. uh, Tip of the hat. I suppose it was there before, and I suppose with them working in media, that they're aware of it probably yep. uh, more so than most people. And mm-hmm. um, so the thing is, it's always been there. Um, but the thing is, the the exposure of it now is is even worse. Um, I suppose with what's going on. But absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, part clairvoyant, but part being in. I suppose a system where you know a lot of people from the media would go and do PR jobs yep. uh, and stuff. So it's very, very closely connected yeah. in that sense. And in fairness, you know, some of the specific things that were said by Homelander here have been said three and four years ago yep. by the specific person they're referencing. Um, it's not like this has only been said in the last two or three months that the, the person that they're referencing has been exactly like this for four years. So, um, so yeah, it's not, it's not unusual that they would pick that up and put it in. I suppose it does. There's a reason why it's timed to come out in, in September when there's an election coming up in November. So, uh, there's that, that is absolutely what the show is just highlighting yeah. that this is the kind of things that are going on when, when someone's in power that shouldn't be. Um, but there is another, thing that I think is even more clairvoyant, to be honest, and it's totally in the realm of uh, of uh, pop culture, more so than in the realm of politics. Uh, John, you have this as part of your next point. Can we Let's move it on, on to you there. for your next point? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it is effectively, I, I've got Queen Maeve's harassment um, on set of Dawn of the Seven mm-hmm. by not only Homelander, but also just the PR team you know the approaches of these two people to queen Maeve, who was outed in in the last episode um homelander kind of sticking it in homelander is is keeping that pressure you know having the uh, a lesbian scene worked into dawn of the seven presumably one of the joss uh re- rewrites um mm-hmm. and you specifically called out that's yeah not, that's no exactly just in case you missed the line or didn't have your subtitles on they specifically uh, say the joss rewrites of dawn of the seven yeah. <laughs> this is this is the clairvoyant nature of uh, of eric kripke i think because see what's going on in the news right now after the snyder cut announcement and the release of the snyder cut the specific talk of harassment during the time of the filming of that movie has been incorporated into uh, this show to come out the week it's coming out properly in the news at the moment. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, th- I think with Homelander as well, it's that physical threat, and and it's that physical as well as mental manipulation of Queen Maeve with her outing, and then now suddenly being that that face. Um, but it's all the disingenuousness of it all because you then have that scene with the PR. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the thing that then says, well, you need to wear 
um, a, a, a suit because you need to be able to show that kind of binary nature of your, oh. that w- one of you is, is actually a male and another, and you're the female because that works best with straight people. And it is just pure hypocrisy yeah. and it is prejudice in its own way. And um, that uh, Eleanor and Queen Maeve cannot be themselves because PR dictates that they must look this certain way, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and do certain things uh, because of how they're perceived uh, as a gay couple, um, a lesbian couple, yeah. uh, to a, a, a non-homosexual audience. And it, it, it's really, I, I've felt uh, quite a lot for Queen Maeve Without a doubt, especially in, in, in because this. even the relationship itself is almost made up by Homelander. Yeah, they're not together. Uh, Maeve, Maeve left Eleanor to keep her in safety. They're not. They're not together at all. And that's the pressure that's being put on by the PR team to create this relationship for the media, so that they can say we have an out lesbian couple, just like the the out lesbian couples that Middle America love. Look at them; one of them dresses in a suit. All the pressure being put in her, and Eleanor's kind of going, "When did we get back together? We haven't even gone exactly. out to dinner in three years." All, kind of all the stereotypes, and yeah. even that she says Maeve's bi; she's bisexual. Yep. Um, yeah, that doesn't and play very well. It though, do, exactly. Yeah. So this this was just really kind of pretty horrific, actually, mm-hmm. in the treatment of Maeve and and Eleanor. And I, I think as well, what I, I liked coming out of it was, you know, the, the the resoluteness of actually Maeve and Eleanor, where Eleanor's walking out, she says, you know, because we're not even a couple, I don't need any of this, what are we doing here? I'm yeah. never going to wear that kind of stuff. I'm not being told what to do. So she's really resolute about who she is and her feelings for Maeve and Maeve, obviously, the concern is that physical threat, that murderous, violent threat coming from Homelander on top, you know, the, the che- that cherry on the top of his homophobia, effectively. Yeah. And that they then say, we'll take him down. Mm-hmm. Queen Maeve very purposely wanting to take him down. And for better or worse, uh, we see her approach the deep, Mm-hmm. Uh, for a favor if she gives him a favor to bring him into the seven and i cannot wait to see what comes from this now maybe it will be a lasered bloody mess of, mm. of these two i can't really imagine the deep uh will come up well against homelander in, in, in a fight but i i just I, i'm really looking forward to seeing um these two characters coming together or how Queen Maeve is going to use the deep, whatever it might be to take down uh, Homelander. A surprise attack with a shoal of fish. Yeah. Who's going? We're going to get some more flying dolphins. (laughs) Absolutely. Entire school of dolphins this time. Save me. (laughs) So my part. Yeah. This is just the, the, the treatment is disgusting, but it's played to be disgusting. Um, and even the Portia Allen kind of quote. Yeah, exactly. Even I went, ooh, that cuts a, that cuts deep, but all right. Um, overall, yeah, like, happy to see the writers back. Love them. Great from back Mm -hmm. in season one. They were fun in season one. Here, they're fun, Mm -hmm. but you're like, it's a bit too much. Um, oh, it's, yeah. The scene with Maeve just kind of almost laying bare going, 
I'm doing this to save you. You cannot go anywhere. I can't protect you if you leave. That's that seemed to be for me the trigger point to where you say, yeah, we're we're now gonna get deep May versus the seven or the red more <laughs> Homelander and Stormfront. Um or Deep May versus Homelander or anyway. Um it's gonna be interesting how that plays out. I think I think we actually probably have it in some of our feedback later on as well, actually it's why why it's in my mind. But we haven't really seen what Queen Maeve is capable of really since season one. She's been put on the back burner, she's been hidden away by Homelander a lot, and they tend to stand side by side throughout the first two seasons and we know that she she was uh, effectively drinking herself to death because of the pressure that he was putting on her to cover up the things he was doing but we haven't really seen a huge amount of what she has done we i think i think the one of the opening scenes of the first episode was a truck crashing into her and she destroyed the truck behind her remember that as being a particular scene of how much strength she has but we don't know whether she goes toe-to-toe or whether her combined with the team going toe-to-toe with uh, Homelander. We don't know what that's going to end up like, but uh, I hope she has a plan. We've got some tasters. <laughs> so there was also, we saw her go toe-to-toe with, what was it, five, six guys in uh, the gym. Uh, and then we additionally see when she and Homelander went after the um, the terrorist or the, the bank robbers in season one. Where the, yeah. the, we see that where she kind of is slightly nigh invulnerable, kind of knocks off the machine gun fire and then bends a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As you said, it's going to be interesting to see that uh, that face off, face off, face yeah. off, face off. <laughs> maybe a different yes, type a of face off uh, in that non Nicholas Cage face off. <laughs> Um, or maybe if they get the female involved, uh, the Homelander might lose his face uh, in that moment. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what the pain thresholds are of the Deep and Queen Maeve, because it is at the moment, you know, you've got people like Gecko or Blindspot who effectively can be taken out quite easily and don't seem to have any... Um, well, not Gecko, but Blindspot, certainly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Gecko is just kind of fairly... Uh, weak and certainly, he, um, he can't know, die. He, they can. He'll bend. You know, he he's, he's kind of fairly supplicant, really, in terms of what he will do. Yeah. Um, but then, then you have the likes of you know bulletproof Kamiko, or mm-hmm. you see you know with Stormfront and so on, just how powerful they are. So there must be. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Maeve and the Deep's uh, power thresh- uh, power and pain threshold. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's everything for this. So, Derek, what is your antagonist moment? I'm going to stay on the set of Dawn of the Seven um, to talk a little bit about A-Train in this episode. Um, we had that moment last episode where he was effectively kicked out uh, of the Seven by, uh, by Homelander uh, with that awful... Um, We'll be friends, yada, 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 kind of line to him. So uh, his treatment in this episode, as we have him effectively supposed to be filming his goodbye scene for the movie 
uh, that's going to reflect the real life leaving of the seven where he's fighting so hard uh, to get himself back in there. It's, you know, it's, it's in some ways funny, you know, you can see uh, why it would be a funny scene, but um, it turns much darker, I think, uh, later on in the episode. You know, we have those early scenes where you see a train going, well, I stayed up all night and rewrote the script so I don't have to say goodbye, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've made myself part of the movie again and the writer's kind of gone, sorry, Homelander wants you out and he has, you know, full uh, full rights to, to everything and control everything here. So way above my pay grade kind of thing. And he outnet refuses to do his leaving speech, but they make him go on set, make him film a speech with... Uh, Homelander looking at him and I absolutely love the touch that uh, as he finishes his speech and everybody goes and it's a really emotionally delivered speech uh, you see it wasn't even Homelander that was there it was a stand-in <laughs> that was used so they, that's how little respect <laughs> they have for him he has to film his final speech with none of the rest of the seven even around I thought that was a, a, a lovely touch there but he goes backstage and meets up with Stormfront um, who takes it to the much deeper level I suppose the real reason why he's also out of the seven is because he doesn't fit what she would have wanted him to be in the seven for. Um, she mentions the fact, I think they see some uh, some of the uh, promotional material that the Deep is doing for the Church of the Collective and Stormfront remembers the time where that was a much closer organization to her beliefs. Uh, she was really happy there. There used to be uh, some realness about them as, a, as an organization. Um, and then they started to let the trash in. Um, it's such a great line delivery from her because you know exactly what she means yeah. and so does A-Train. He sees it the second she says it and then repeats it back to him as well, knowing that he knows like this This is just the moment showing her real true racism to, a, to A-Train straight yeah. in front of him, telling him in no uncertain terms, you're the trash that we're taking out of the seven as well kind of thing. Mm. You know, uh, she's completely on the side of this choice by uh, by Homelander. He didn't make it for that reason. He made it because he doesn't trust A-Train at all because yep. of the uh, drug abuse he's been doing and the heart problems he has. Um, but she is absolutely on the side of Homelander, get, Homelander getting rid of A-Train yeah. from this group and, and in no uncertain terms, um, just underlining the racism that she has in there and how... how evil a character she really is, I suppose. Yes, and his replacement is Caucasian. Exactly. It will be a fully Caucasian group, um, um, Mm -hmm. and the trash will be gone, quote-unquote. Yes. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah, they don't don't veil it at all. Like, well, they do veil it, but it's not... It's so well inferred, and as you said, the delivery, you're like, there's no uncertain terms where we know... Everyone knows. Exactly. Terror. Terror the dog knew what they were talking about. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. You know, it, it just wonder what would have happened if Ashley didn't turn up. Would there have been a fight between A-Train, yeah. A-Train and uh, and Stormfront there? Uh, just thought it was a, a, a one of those moments you really have to call out uh, because A-Train particularly has been kicked more than anybody throughout the two seasons. We talked about that idea of him being uh, a person that's always been under challenge you know there's loads of speedsters around the world and he had to make sure that he was maintaining that position as number one speedster in the world at all time or else he was going to lose his position in the seven he's been under more pressure than any of the other seven to keep their roles within this and always wanted it more than everybody else uh, it seems as well Maeve I don't think she could get out of there quick enough if she was able to and get out of there safely you know uh, Starlight wanted to get out of there from the first time she got in there she now works as a double agent you know the deep uh, was kicked out um, pretty quickly he wants back in though uh, and he's uh, not even the top so, 20 yeah. now as we, we call in the, or they call out in the last thing he's not even cracking the top 20 of speedsters so exactly it'd be interesting um, yeah I, yeah. I, I want yeah. to see where this goes and how this kind of 
um, I, how A Train make teams up with the Deep and Maeve. I think we really have some options here for who's going to go up against the only two people here that really are the major antagonists for the show. I think we're seeing Homelander and Stormfront teaming up at the moment. We'll probably talk about that in a second. Um, but um, the rest of the group all seem to be being pushed aside. So we may have everybody else versus those two. Or we may have Homelander also joining everybody else versus Stormfront by the end of the season. Yeah. That maybe does. I think we mentioned that before that it seems to be going that way uh, quite a bit. Let's talk about any other outstanding moments, any moments we haven't talked about because there's definitely one big one. I think you got it, Chris. I have no idea what you mean. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did want to start going in the jungle, the mighty jungle. <laughs> no, no. Um, how, okay, we'll go with what the song they chose, which was uh, none other than Dream On by Aerosmith. Okay, mm-hmm. the music choice. Mwah. Chef's classic. kiss. It was classic. Yeah. It was well positioned and timed for like... And I, I, I say that with the double otaja, that it was like, as the percussion came in, the, the smashing of materials in this room was timed to the drum beats. Um, so it was just really well done. But yeah, what I want to talk about is the, um, last episode, there was definitely one scene that you couldn't watch with having your kids in the room at the same time the homelander scene this is probably the other one which is just going to make if you have your kids Mm -hmm. in the room this is going to make you uncomfortable parents and kids can't watch this together um yeah homelander and uh stormfront hooking up this is the kind of I, I saw this as the kind of funny, what would happen? Remember when the, in the new 52 on DC, when they put Superman and Wonder Woman together? Uh, it's kind of, this is what some Superman or Wonder Woman or Earth 3, the crime syndicate, Ultraman and Ultra Woman. That was it. Ultraman and Ultra Woman. Um, so the, the bad version. This is what, how they would knock boots, if you will. Yeah. And just like that, the line delivery, shut up and laser my chest. Um, <laughs> was just like, we had seen that in some promotion materials. It's still not on Giphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be very soon, most likely. Um, not, aside from being a very cool scene, just in terms of visually showing what would happen when these two very strong people knocked boots. Uh, it also just does cement the two of them together that this is home. Mm-hmm. Stormfront is so ingrained and in Homelander's psyche that it's she can control him, uh, and she is essentially leading him around uh, by a leash uh, or another implement, if you will. Um, Maybe next time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's it. It's like, um, you know, this is slap and tickle at its most, um, slappiest, slappiest and not so tickliest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wasn't sure at times whether they were fighting or having sex. I, I really wasn't sure whether they were just testing their powers against each other or not. You know, at times you're kind of going, okay, that's pretty. That's well, really violent here. But. I thought there was going to be so much leather brought into this scene that, like, the whole sort of beef herd of Argentina was going to get sort of brought on board by um, by Homelander. And of course, they ultimately reach uh, the dizzying heights that not even um, Sting could muster on the tantric scale, mm-hmm. uh, hovering in position. Yeah. Um, 
which was just felt looked so wrong but, but nonetheless just, can you imagine like that is the, the i i'd say you have Zack snyder or anyone who's done a superman film or anyone who's done some form of superhero scene where the superhero can fly uh just going i wish i could have done that scene that's just yeah that's great oh <laughs> uh, it was it was awesome and i was what? just thinking what are the mechanics behind this you know how does he push off uh he or how does he vibrates it, super fast Okay, maybe, yeah, yeah. Okay, but like, anyway, I suppose not to go down that rabbit hole. It it was just so, so good. One thing, though, when he's lasering her chest, mm-hmm. I presume he's holding back because I suddenly got this weird theory going on in my head, uh, which I'll come to actually on the mm-hmm. on my final point. Mm-hmm. But I, I, it felt to me that she was absorbing his power. Um and I know she's Stormfront and I'm thinking weather and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But And he did say he was holding back, but then she kept saying more, yeah. more. And it was like she was able to absorb his power, at least his laser power anyway, hmm. um, which I thought was kind of interesting. That's an, that's an interesting theory. Um, yeah, and t- whether that's something to do with maybe her youthful uh, looks. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm sure you have a theory there. They're obviously going to talk about it in a minute, but uh, but I suppose seeing that the beginning of the episode, what we saw with Homelander using those laser eyes, was he cut through one person and killed a couple of people behind it. Yeah, you know that's so uh, so it's very powerful and could certainly get through human body and bones pretty easily and and take out things behind it. So uh, yeah, if, if he wasn't holding back and aiming the full force of his lasers at her. And it didn't even penetrate the skin of her chest. Yeah, she's massively yeah. powerful at the very least. Because even so. the other members of the Seven are scared of him mm-hmm. and his power. Yeah. Yet she quite happily, uh, in sort of foreplay, was able to take on his power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe absorbing it. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was getting some flashbacks to uh, to Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, uh, yep. their first sex scene back in the in the Marvel TV show, having two super heroic people or super powered people having sex. So we have seen some a, a scene like this before, and that we've talked about on the podcast as well. But uh, but yeah, having two flying superheroes uh, it definitely adds a dimension to uh, <laughs> to the sex scene. Definitely. Uh, and yeah, this show is definitely willing to show more uh, than than the Netflix shows were as well. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, but that's it for my other outstanding moment uh genres uh what is your outstanding moment for this episode yeah um my sort of outstanding thing it's it's actually a small point but it kind of connected in with what i was just talking about with um stormfront seemingly being able to absorb his power um and i i was thinking can she just absorb his power uh but we get this moment um where stormfront speaking with an orderly um, seemingly at some kind of care home. And we also then see Starlight going into her trailer, rummaging through her laptop um, and getting the name of this, the same place, Sage Grove. And I suddenly started wondering whether it was almost like a Dorian Gray type thing. So this is really weird. This is, I suppose, just how slightly crazy the theory is, mm-hmm. is that I started to think, Oh, it, does she have someone at Sage Grove where effectively they are aging and she's able to stay? Uh, that's her superpower, okay. ultimately, or okay. part of it, that she can stay young because someone else, she projects her power 
to age someone else oh, in, maybe. In, okay. instead. Yeah. And that's why there's all these calls to Sage Grove and it's all a bit hush-hush. And whilst it was very obvious that that's what um, Starlight was getting from her laptop effectively, although it could ultimately as well just be her mother, because we do see a picture of her mother. Yeah. And it's probably more likely that. But I was kind of getting all kind of deep into sort of weird theories here mm. and then obviously we had the moment with um the the the, the supersized um slap and tickle and i saw her as kind of absorbing the laser beam mm. power and i thought maybe that's then what keeps her young so she's drawing on the power she's of drawing mind. on the power but initially i thought it was, she was kind of i don't know she was aging a whole old people's care home and um, because that was her power to keep her young. Oh, but nonetheless, okay. there is something of importance at Sage Grove yeah. uh, that Stormfront has um, has contact with. It's probably her mother. Yeah. Um, we see that picture next to the laptop, actually, when Starlight um, is, is uh, getting on and, and getting that information of her. I think it's her call history. So, yeah. Yeah, this is this is kind of interesting, and and as well, the orderly that we see Stormfront on the phone to was Sean Ashmore from X Men, who mm, played Iceman. That's right, yeah, yeah. Or Mister Frost, or Mister Freeze. Iceman. I'm, it is Iceman. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yes, it was. It was kind of cool to see him in there. Definitely, yeah. Yes. Pops. Cool. I went. I went for cool. Yes, I went for cool. but just just to point out quickly you know that we we say that it's most likely her mother in the photograph with stormfront stormfront looks her current age her mother looks old she looks 70 or 80 maybe but as we found out last episode stormfront was you know in her 20s back in the 70s which is 50 years ago so add the 50 years onto her 20s stormfront should be in her 70s there's no possible way her mother would be alive yeah Right, so so your theory does have a little bit of credence to yeah. it, unless the photograph was taken of Stormfront back in the eighties or seventies uh, with her mother at that time. Yeah. So yeah, but it was nice that little bit of mystery around Stormfront, you know. Ultimately. Yeah, no, and yeah. it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I thought sister in there. Mm. Um, that's because uh, her sister then would be in her seventies. The sister didn't get Compound V. Etc. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to that see. Makes a lot of sense. We, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, due to press release and stuff, we do know who Sean Ashmore is playing, or he does. His character plays an interesting role uh, in the the boys' comic book and things like that. If if we are to believe he is playing who we think he's playing, bar according to the casting announcements that happened. And they went big on it and told everyone who he was playing and the character's name. Um, so, anywho. Isn't that weird? I don't remember a bit of these casting announcements at I all. I do, because I was I'm like... I'm the one that oh, monitors no. all of our social media accounts and posts all yeah. this stuff. I probably put it on our Facebook group. <laughs> you did. It's great. <laughs> you have selective memory. Well done. <laughs> That's what happens when you do 120 shows in a year, like guys. That's 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 what I'm missing out. I think the reason why you might be thinking of um, of Stormfront as being, you know, having magic and absorbing power is possibly because of uh, of all the Lovecraft Country you've been watching over the last <laughs> probably, <few weeks. laughs> possibly. Um, I've just got one quick note just about uh, Black Noir and the battle at Billy Butcher's house. We talked about it a little bit. Um, I just thought it was 
it was interesting because it felt like a, a a big normal cable TV moment when they realized that Black Noir was outside. They closed the curtains and it felt like they go to ad break and it comes back from ad break and they have this really quick solution for uh, sorting it out. They call the fire engine and that clears out. That gets everybody outside and they have some kind of cover effectively while they put their plan together. It felt a little bit ATM-y. If I can, if I can, uh, if I can say that, uh, felt a little bit like the A team as they as they build these bombs to uh, try and distract um, Black Noir. I love the resolution because it shows again how powerful Black Noir is. They've effectively set up these nail bombs all around the house that uh, will block the entry for anybody coming in to try and find them in this uh, back room that they have in uh, that they're hidden in in his aunt's house. And effectively, Black Noir just walks straight through all of them and arrives downstairs with like all these bits of of nails in himself, all the bits uh, of bits of his uh, uniform are blown off because he's just walked through these bombs. No problem to him at all. Uh, so it probably took him uh, an excess, uh, probably less than about 20 seconds to make it down to them. Uh, instantly knocks out MM, instantly takes care of Huey and Billy and is about to go and kill Huey um, when it stops and Billy makes his plea with them, I suppose. So last part of the episode, really. What did you think of this resolution uh, to the episode? Because this is the one that kind of threw me off the episode a bit. I wasn't really happy that this whole build-up, and it's two episodes long, because Black Noir was searching for Billy Butcher last episode. They find Billy Butcher, someone that's been the absolute uh, bee in the bonnet, I guess, of, of Voss for years now. They find him, and Billy effectively just has a quick chat with Edgar and goes, well, I have proof that Homelander uh, raped my wife, created a child, I'll release it to the world. Uh, unless you let me go and Edgar goes Stan Edgar goes okay then you're free to go um yeah I felt a little anticlimactic for what's happening with Vought but again we're on episode five and there's three more episodes to go and you know there are other ways at Billy Butcher um but it just felt a little bit anticlimactic in this particular episode definitely I I thought there was going to be more here I thought it was going to be that Billy Butcher would make the deal with the devil mm-hmm. with with Edgar and and Black Noir because Edgar is concerned about Homelander and what he's doing because mm-hmm. you know he's kind of Homelander had that moment where he kind of rallied from being put down by Edgar and so maybe him and Black Noir have got this team up obviously um you know we were wondering why Black Noir had gone into the Vought control room to say was was Butcher. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I, I liked all that element to it, but then I thought there was just going to be something more about Edgar offering him uh, a way out or leniency or to scrub the record if, with their help, they would be taking down Homelander or something like yeah. that. Black Noir was going to be like real deep undercover mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of what he's doing. So I thought that was going to be really good. But so, I, yeah, I was a little bit kind of um, put off by by that. I think that w- I thought there should have been more. And maybe we'll get that in the next episode. I think the other thing was, I know you called it A-Team, but I really liked that because I really enjoyed mother's milk strategy for combating black noir i really liked that and and with billy butcher that well he's gonna kill us so if he's gonna kill us 
he's going to have to do it in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought was going to happen. So they, they call about the gas leak. All the fire engines turn up. Everyone's coming out of their house. And then they stay in the house. Yeah. So I thought they were going to then walk out, get in the car, and go off yeah. whilst everyone was there. Be faster than a car, John. <laughs> so it was just like, yeah. okay, this is really weird that then they hunkered down in in Judy's taffy room. Yeah. And and then I had absolutely no idea. I didn't even know that they were, had done the nail bombs. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think of that. So all these explosions going off, and I was thinking, what is Black Noir doing up there? <laughs> <laughs> Rather than it being booby traps. Right. He's blowing up parts of the house for no reason. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I... I- I actually enjoyed this, but this for me, I'm with you, Derek. It it feels mm-hmm. weird because actually, this is the first soup that was born, not made. Part about Compound V and the the bad PR disaster is soups are made, not born. And with Homelander's child, it's the soup is this child is born. Um, it is the first. Mm-hmm. that we know of soup that was born the rape part is the issue but actually it's not a huge if yeah. they want to take down yeah. Homelander it's not that bad of a thing um, from Edgar's point of view you could certainly cover it up and change the narrative yes exactly from <laughs> a PR said, yeah. spin potential uh, yeah. so this does feel off it feels like they 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 kind of painted themselves slightly from an into a narrative corner to a degree, literally up against a wall, if you will. Uh, but the potential of what it gives us is that we now know that Black Noir is working directly for Edgar, that Edgar sees everything. So yeah. the the scenes where we saw Black Noir earlier, um, and that uh, kind of going through the other soup terrorists is was under approval of Edgar. Uh, it mm. wasn't a Homelander joint. Um, mm-hmm. And also, finally, it's more that Black Noir is reporting directly to Edgar on this. So he, there was some questions in our head, or so definitely questions in my head, of the loyalty of Black Noir, because we saw him when the Compound V News could go out, sitting yeah. on the ground, d- distraught, quote-unquote, like in my words, yeah. uh, kind of when all the news was coming out, but maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was just kind of, oh god, I got to deal with all this stuff, and the boss is going to kill me. Not Homelander, Edgar. So it it will be interesting to see where it all nets out over the next few episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thought it was an interesting moment uh, yeah. to highlight from the episode. Um, I don't think there's any notes to talk about. We've kind of extensively talked about this episode. Chris, let's go over to your corner uh, if you want to talk about a character from the comic books that may have appeared in this episode. Who do you want to talk about? Woof, woof. No, I'm not going to talk about Terror. We already talked about Terror. I'm going to talk about Vic the Veep. Um, uh, Or in this case, uh, it's Victoria Newman. The the um, She's portrayed by Claudia Dumit, who is this... um, We see her on... The, the TV initially kind of speaking about out against Voss as this young kind of, uh, I think someone, uh, it, it's on the Chiron or something. It says like a uh, young wonder kind congresswoman. Um, um, but essentially she's this congresswoman who, who she's the AOC, if you will, uh, speaking out against 
uh, Vought. Um, so in this show, she's called Victoria Newman, Councilwoman Newman. Uh, in the comic books, we had Victor K. Newman, Vic the V, mm-hmm. who was this, who was the vice president uh, of America already at the beginning of the series. And mm-hmm. uh, he was the former CEO of Vought America and very much is uh, a pawn of uh, Vought, 100%. Um, and it's actually interesting because in the comic books, uh, Vic the Veep is this slackjaw yokel. Like, mm-hmm. it's very much made out that he is, like, he can't wipe his own behind without help. He can't do anything. He can read a teleprompter, and that's about it. Yeah, um, he yeah. he perfect candidate for someone controlled by uh, by Vault. Yeah, really, and the the, yeah. the storyline is that they're, they're trying to get him to become the president so that they can control like what we've seen here. We get the suits in the army. He has the power mm-hmm. to play that as the president or as the VP becoming president. So yeah. it's an interesting change. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm significant going from uh, yeah. in the pocket of Vought to anti Vought. So. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to see if they if if maybe this is all a big ploy, maybe this is a stormfront plot. Who knows? Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, Vic the Veep, or in, in this Vic uh, Victoria Newman, could be interesting to keep an eye on this character. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it was interesting to see her here. We've seen her on on TV a few times, yeah. making. Uh, making speeches i think in the past yeah. we haven't really seen her as a main character in the show but uh, yeah. but it's interesting that it's a comic book character that's so different from from where, what's presented in the comic books that you're kind of almost thinking that another company would go it's the daughter of vic the Veep or something yeah. like that so they wouldn't be able to you, so you wouldn't be saying it is the car- comic book character because it's so different from what we uh, what we saw yeah. yeah and it's interesting to make her the, the aoc equivalent that is speaking out against vot so much that is mm-hmm. the young congresswoman, the shining light. Like if you go back and look at the Chirons when she's on TV, it's it, it's very funny. Like the, the, when we see the Fox variation versus the the other news channels, uh, yeah, they, they, they they completely talk about her two different ways. But that was Chris's corner. Um, but at the Thanks end so that, Chris. of Chris's corner yeah. always comes our wrap up, our thoughts. How did we like it? What did we think? Interesting. So I'll kick it off over to Johnners first. Do you defend this episode of The Boys? Yeah, I, I do defend. Um, but I, I give this three and a half tantric soups, and that isn't tomato. Uh, three and a half tantric soups out of five. Um, mm. I did really like this episode, but I found it difficult on first pass to get into. I liked a lot about it, and it's grown on me even with this discussion. Um, it probably didn't really come across maybe in in um, my boys moment, the seven moment and outstanding moments, because I, I think there was a lot to like here. Yep. Um, I definitely feel it's setting up um, the the Homelander Stormfront side of things for the next three episodes and how you go after Stormfront, possibly through the Sage Grove uh, route. So I, I'm really looking forward to the next episode here um, and i thought there was some really good stuff in, in this and i just i mean you know the ending with stormfront and homelander a great moment um and just so in keeping with the boys so yeah i give it three and a half tantric soups out of five 
Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I'd agree with you. It's it's probably we're just after middle of the season. It's a middling episode uh, for me. <laughs> Chris, what about yourself? I, I'm right there with you, boys. Um, it it was the setup, but also I I think this could have been done faster. Um, mm-hmm. now it all depends on what happens in the next three episodes. Some of these points may go, fall over into season two. I think. Um, but I'm really hoping it's not because this feels like it should be a midpoint for a season of her 10 episode season versus mm, an eight okay. episode season. So I'm kind of mm. like, Oh, you're, you're cutting it fine here to, to give us a, <laughs> an ex Basel exposition episode. Uh, yeah. well, we did get some movement and we got a fantastic tantric floating scene, but as I, I'm with you, it was a, a 3.5 if we want to store it but there you have it boys and girls ladies and gentlemen that is what we thought of season two episode five of the boys we gotta go now but before we move over to our feedback section boys i think it's our time we head to the pub yes it is time for the boys pub quiz fellow boys and girls and fellow pub quizzes please uh, if you want to be involved with the pub quiz send in your answers to the questions from this season uh, to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Mm-hmm. You can send them in one at a time or all together. Um, each question is taken from the episode we cover. So moving on to question five. What animal is Terra's special fluffy cuddly toy? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yes, this is the one that uh, that Huey was handling, right? Yes, yes. it is the one that uh, poor old Huey was embracing close to his chest, mm-hmm. and dare I say it, even closer to his mouth. <laughs> oh, no. um, oh, so, no, yes, what animal is Terra's special, fluffy, cuddly toy? Excellent, excellent. We did also promise that we would have a lineup of the uh, the goodies that are available in the boys' pub quiz. Go on, John. Did you do it? I did part of it, yes. So we, it is a point of question, unless otherwise um, mentioned by the pub quiz master, myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, the prizes will be a selection of uh, the boys' uh, prizes. So, so far, we've seen a really good long sleeved t shirt that will form part of the pub quiz prizes Mm -hmm. we normally do look for a a drinking prize uh, as it is a pub quiz so a steiner or or something like that and we will also be looking to get um the first collected uh, edition of the boys Mm -hmm. the comic excellent excellent so uh probably haven't confirmed for definite then but we will confirm well, two are, two are confirmed. The one that is still yet to be identified is the drinking uh, receptacle okay. for, for your beer. The apparatus, exactly, <laughs> for your alcoholic consumption. Um, whether that be a Steiner, a pint glass, a shot glass, a shot glass yeah. um, <laughs> or, or whatever, coasters, from, yeah. you know, something like that, yeah. we'll need to see uh, what the boys uh, have on offer. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the boys' store is is actually available. There is one that's been set up by Amazon since it's an Amazon Prime product. You absolutely would think they would, but some of the products, like the pop vinyls that they have available of all the boys, they're not available until uh, April next year. So way outside the kind of realm of of us giving them away as goodies uh, in our public. So we'll find something else. 
<laughs> Unless you wanted to say, we will remember, yeah, I promise, exactly. in April or May next year, you might get this thing. Um, so thanks very much for that, John. That's really good. Let's get into some feedback. Um, if you want to send us any feedback, again, you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Pop over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. You can also follow us over on uh, over on Twitter at tvpodindustries if you want to leave any thoughts over on Twitter. First up, we have an email in from Jimmy Earn about episodes two and three. He says, I really want to call out Amazon for some great innovations. Firstly, X-Ray, as this is the first time I've ever used it. And secondly, for the mini three-episode arc release followed by week to week. This is an excellent way to whet the appetite rather than one, one by one or all at once. Some highlights from the first few episodes for me are the whale scene. Wow, I have never seen anything like this. Although, sort of wish I had not seen it in the trailer. But still, I'm really not sure whether to laugh or turn away moment. Uh, the Deep in particular is such a great character. I would happily watch a spin-off just of his misadventures. Yeah. <laughs> I totally agree with that, Jimmy. Definitely. Uh, Jimmy goes on to say, the soup's reactions to the compound V news, especially Noir looking devastated, hopefully meaning this will mean some more depth to his character later in the season after that cool episode one opener. Stormfront's shocking, pun intended, heel turn was effective and should bring some fun clashes with Homelander. It certainly did in this episode, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> perhaps it might have even been better to hold off a bit longer to really make it a surprise. Not eight seasons like Game of Thrones, but I guess they will have good reasons for revealing this now, especially if she had been uh, hand-selected by Vought. Perhaps she has something to do with the liberty mentioned during the phone call. Ooh, good catch there. Good catch. Uh, that is exactly what it was. Um Jimmy says, I also have to mention that whole trailer storyboard scene in the boardroom, a spot on piece of satire. All they needed was a joke about removing the CGI mustache from Home Ladder to really ram that one home. Looking forward to the next few episodes, which can't come soon enough. Jimmy, you know what? They didn't use the CGI mustache, but they did do the rewrites yeah. by Joss Whedon. So, uh, yeah, they, they definitely yeah. nailed that one. <laughs> No, no, they got it. Thank you, Jimmy, for the feedback. Um, you have a, a Chris level clairvoyance in terms of making wild outlandish <laughs> uh, ideas that turn out to be right. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you on the deep. Could definitely see that spin yeah, off. Um, and definitely. More importantly, I'm with you on X ray. Um, X ray is an amazing kind of tool that like really gets overlooked in that it's it, great for all this is random trivia. Um, mm-hmm. for each episode so you can jump to yeah. different parts and it will tell you very interesting pieces of trivia and also two additional videos created for this season that are up there uh, My Daddy Works for Vought uh, a video with Ryan and Homelander which is quite funny yeah. <laughs> and another one as well so go check those out yeah no absolutely thanks uh, Jimmy for, for that uh, really good I'm with you and Chris here on The Deep and on no- Black Noir as well I really mm-hmm. kind of want to see some kind of uh, addition to this character because he is just so mysterious yes. for sure um, on Twitter uh, Will B says for episode 4 of Boys we worry about how dangerous ego driven police and politicians are it's interesting seeing uh, what could happen if those same mindsets were paired with a super powered person mm-hmm. also the way Homelander fires A-Train go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think um we definitely see uh the 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 crucible, the 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 genesis uh of um the the pairing of someone like Homelander with someone 
uh, as dangerous as Stormfront um, will be definitely something to see mm-hmm. uh, and how that plays out for sure. Absolutely. And, and the pairing of people like like them with their mindsets and superpowers is definitely something that the, the boys is exploring this season. Yeah. Thank you, Will, for Thanks the feedback well. over on Twitter. Yeah. So thanks, Will. Uh, over on mm-hmm. Facebook, Angie had this to say about episode four. Did you know Stormfront is the name of a Nazi organization? So I kind of thought she was a bad actor from the start. Just given her name. Did <laughs> not know that part. Uh, yeah, so know. thank you. No, yeah, I didn't. I, I yeah. obviously knew her from the comic books. Um, or I should say knew him from the comic books and that part. But uh, Stormfront, interesting. Uh, they they could have just should have just gone with old SS. Just yeah, it, it, do, it does sound a little uh, jackbooty, doesn't it, actually, when you read it uh, out loud? It Although it would have been <laughs> so much funnier if they gave her, like, the uh, the German accent from Alo Alo. I'm no, not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. It Darren's really wouldn't. It really wouldn't, Chris. <laughs> Thank you, Angie. But also quickly moving on to uh, feedback from Salim Akisla for episode four. Salim says... We all know Homelander is sick, but holy F. It was also cool to hear Mother's Milk's backstory. Cherie is a saint. I, I was really hoping for Kamiko's Stormfront battle, but I'm sure it's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. And poor Huey, poor Billy, though I fully expect him to be back with the team and back on his revenge path next episode... Maybe after a run-in with Black Noir. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, uh, we definitely, I must say, that was really intriguing, Black Noir sort of searching him out. Um, Salim goes on to say, all that plus Homelander outing Maeve, A-Train is out, Stormfront is in Homelander's head, and we just keep learning more terrible things about her. Mm-hmm. This episode really traded in the laughs, and shocking moments for the tension, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Looking forward to the podcast and next week. R.I.P. Doppelganger as well. Yes, definitely. Poor Doppelganger. Mm-hmm. Um, dead. Well, I suppose there's been plenty of politicians found in similar uncompromising positions, no doubt. But uh, yeah, Doppelganger gone, mm-hmm. yes. but not forgotten. I-, I will take this moment very quickly. Thank you for the feedback on me. Uh, that if you are not following Anthony Starr on his social channels, please do. We got a fantastic couple of behind-the-scenes shots of him filming in his little negligee number, uh, and it was hilarious. <laughs> Excellent. I'll have to check that out, Chris. Uh, that sounds hilarious. <laughs> uh, Bob Phillips also added his thoughts about uh, episode four of the show. Uh, he says his soups moment was doppelganger and Homelander sharing tender moments by the firelight. Uh, this episode is Homelander and uh, and Stormfront uh, sharing their tender moments by the firelight. While so, she uh, throws yeah. him into the fire. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, Bob's boys moment was Annie and Huey sitting in their seats. S-I-N-G-I-N-G. <laughs> Bob says, these are, I think, wonderful examples of how the boys has something uncynical within it. The idea that for everyone there is one true love, except Frenchie. He's Polly all the way. (laughs) (laughs) The momentous moment uh, for Bob is definitely the longevity of Nazis. Well, that is true. They just keep on sprouting up, don't Mm -hmm. they? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a thank you, Bob, 
for that lovely yeah, thanks, moment Bob. at the end. I, I was mm. with you all the way until you made me upset. Anyway, uh, no, seriously, thank you, Bob, for the feedback, as always. We also got some feedback from Chris Agai, who said, I don't think I have been on edge this much for an hour of television recently. I expected something really terrible to happen every new scene. I love what they do with Stormfront. She's offhandedly slaughtered 59 people in that building. And where are they going with her? And how scarily realistic they included that far-right theme without hitting you over the head with it. And, off the cuff, Aya Cash is so good as this horrible character. I'm also very curious about her connection to Vought. Chris went on to say, The Homelander doppelganger scene caught me completely off guard. And until the last scene, I was absolutely confused about these snippets of the interviews with the women. That Church mm-hmm. of the Collective stuff got really creepy really fast. Uh-huh. Overall, I loved that episode. A bit lighter on the action, but very dense in character moments and information for episodes to come. And I expected Homelander crashing through the wall roof and murdering someone at almost any time during the whole episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah Chris, I think kind we of all did. That whole series, really, isn't it? <laughs> that, that's me as well. Yeah. I, I think in this episode as well, on episode five, I had the same moments, the same in episode four, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. It's yeah. just like, uh, Absolutely. Really good thoughts, Chris. Thanks, thanks so much for them. Um, we didn't even mention the deeps, uh, blindingly difficult to watch interview oh. with uh, with Katie Couric on TV where you're like, oh God, this is oh, awful. I, know. I make you pancakes in, in bed every morning. Or the saccharine laughs as well was just priceless. It was a Loved complete it. rip of the Katie Holmes, Tom Cruise <laughs> interview. <laughs> I was expecting yeah. to jump on the couch Very and do the jump on the couch. I just think they went, no, we won't, we won't make it that on the nose. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty other it is. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris, for the feedback. Uh, we got some feedback from Donald Dennis as well. In all, a low-action episode, but one that didn't feel terribly slow because of all the developments and was a needed breather. It let us take a break from the plentiful deaths in the first three episodes and allowed us to reconnect with the better natures of characters who have been through some serious shit. The singing was a really nice character beat that went on just long enough. It showed they both shared a common interest and that Mother's Milk was willing to indulge them engaging in this odd relationship up to a point, Mm -hmm. even if it was tragically white. (laughs) Then the donut and ice cream conversation was pure gold, as was Petty Huey grieving over her choices of candy bar. Mm -hmm. I love Bitter Honey, though. It is the most underrated candy bar ever. (laughs) That's really interesting, Donald, because in another um, TV episode, um, there was mention of one of the other candy bars from... Uh, the show as well, Charleston Chew. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, really interesting. Um, I have never had them. No, nope. uh, I dare I say I had to reach out to uh, to one of our awesome listeners, Steve Brown, to find out whether the three candy bars that were in your question last week whether they were real because I'd had uh, somebody ask me and I didn't know. Uh, Steve says they all did exist in the past. They are real bars. Not necessarily all still made now, ah. but uh, yes, there are three candy bars. I'm not going to say them out loud because you've already given clues to two of them. I know. For your question, I was thinking that. Three, but you've only given one point, so that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> thanks so much for that, Donald. Yeah, uh, thanks, and Donald. Andy Gaston says, uh, Doppelganger was a real pal there and Homelander killed him for no reason. What a jerk. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> a real pal. That's a, or that's maybe a good because of it. 
<laughs> Maybe. Uh, Jerry Alexander says, I feel knots in my stomach every time Homelander is on screen. Last season, he was an a-hole, but now he seems capable of anything, and that scares me. What he did to Maeve was absolutely awful. The Stormfront Liberty Collection blows my mind. Really great episode with a lot to process. I can't believe we have to wait a week to see what happens next. Yes, I love the waiting the week, I have to say. I, I'm mm-hmm. back. I'm 100% for it. It's just that builds that anticipation. Exactly. As they say in Rocky exactly. Show. Mm-hmm. Um, rounding out, we also got some final feedback from Jimmy Earn, who sent his thoughts on episode four. A really interesting episode this week, which almost didn't feel like a superhero action show. More a slow burn drama. Above it all, it was an opportunity to showcase some high quality acting from the cast. Homelander was, as usual, fantastic, not content with owning every scene he's in. He even managed to appear twice in the same scene. (laughs) I have nothing more to add to what you all said in the discussion, but wanted to say how good it was to give more time to some of the more side characters who we don't often get as much screen time. Mm -hmm. He goes on to say, I thought Mother's Milk was the standout this week, with some great moments in facial acting, like his reaction when Billy asked him to lead the Spice Girls, his annoyance with Annie and Huey singing on their road trip, and of course, his story of how his father led him to joining the boys. Mm -hmm. Adding his OCD tendencies make him a well more rounded supporting character, and thanks to Chris for his extra background during Chris's Corner. No Mm -hmm. problem, happy to help. (laughs) Jimmy went on to say, Becca is another character being played really well, especially considering the actress barely appeared in season one. She seems really good at showing different sides of her emotion, fear of Homelander, but willingness to stand up to him when it comes to her son, happiness at being with Billy, but tough enough to know that they can't be together any longer. I also hope this isn't the last we see of her, but agree with the prediction that Ryan will play a major part in the season finale. Mm. Yeah. The other was Queen Maeve, who I'm sorry to say, for me, is a, the least interesting member of the Seven, for now, but had a much better time this week with that incredibly tough TV interview scene and the confrontation afterwards. Mm-hmm. It would be good to see more of her and what she really is capable of as a soup, having yeah. done relatively little since the airline crash. How about a fight between her and Stormfront, who is more likely to turn out to be homophobic? Definitely, Mm -hmm. I think we talked about that in this episode. Jimmy finished his feedback with one last thing. When Team MM stopped during their road trip, they seemed to be in some sort of pub with That's Old Donuts. I know you guys have more experience in the US than me, so need to know, is this common in the States? And if so, we need to introduce them in the UK. (laughs) Uh, I don't think it was a pub. I think it was more of a kind of boutique diner kind of donut shop. Yeah, I think I'd like a side side the road kind of convenience, which we definitely have in in the UK and Ireland. Um, yeah, but but to be honest, I've seen a lot of things in uh, in bars in the US uh, yep. that I haven't seen uh, in, in Europe. <laughs> uh, it's a different scene, you know. They'll sell anything uh, anywhere basically if they got a good deal with the local Dunkin' Donuts to sell uh, mm. sell donuts in uh, in a bar. They absolutely would do that. Tasty. Um, it's not as stripped down as we would have over here, where it's like you know maybe some pig snacks and some uh, some peanuts and some crisps, and that's all you'd really get in the bar. Oh. 
Otherwise, you're there to drink. Nothing else, lads. Yeah. No, you, you need pig snacks for, for ballast. <laughs> and for all our listeners, write in with feedback what you think pig snacks are. <laughs> That's definitely one that you're all going to go, huh? But, gentlemen, we also have one final piece of feedback. A voicemail from none other than Steve Brown. Hello, TV Podcast Industries. This is Steve. This is for The Boys, Episode 4 of Season 2. Um, wow. Uh, so much revealed in this episode, but let's see. I'll uh, stick to the format here if I can. My uh, seven moment is uh, that very last scene. I don't know what's creepier. Uh, Homelander killing himself in Killing Doppelganger or the fact that there was no music soundtrack throughout the credits. Like I literally stared at the screen for maybe 30 seconds or more, just listening to that fire crackling over the sound. It was just creepy. Um, and boys moment. Uh, I do, I do love the, the, uh, scene in the car with Annie and Huey singing. We didn't start the fire, but, uh, just, to, I love the fact that they're maybe getting back together. We'll see, you know, she said it can't happen again, but, uh, you know, we've heard that before. So, uh, we'll see what happens there, uh, with our, our boys moment. But, uh, uh, you know, the big, huge, uh, thing of the whole episode is just the reveal that Stormfront is apparently, uh, 70 years old or more and maybe uh this whole compound v you know slows down the aging process or stops it altogether um is is going to be interesting as they, they reveal it through the rest of the the season okay can't wait to hear what you guys thought talk to you later thanks so much steve great to hear from you yeah thanks steve um i was wondering was it the fire cracking or crackling or was it doppelganger's bones still kind of being cracked by oh by homelander uh, it could have been both in which case still the the stare at the the black screen with the credits rolling mm-hmm. is is an apt uh thing to do there for sure um Absolutely. yeah gosh you're getting darker and darker as these weeks go it, on it is what the boys uh does to me oh, it makes I'm, me I'm... very dark it puts me in tune with my inner horror fan yeah well maybe lovecraft country's also doing that to you yeah as well. <laughs> i need to i need to kind of watch sabrina the teenage witch that's also gone very dark John. no the first one oh, oh the original yeah. okay yeah. Message yeah. Art. Wow. yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. absolutely I'm Melissa and Joey as well. I think I've liked everything she's ever been in. <laughs> you, you can also Teresa go old school. You can go like the the say like sixty. What was it? The sixty six Batman with a bit of Kapow and Wallop. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Adam West, I definitely watched that. Caesar Merrill with his. There's a mustache link. There you go. When the Joker had his mustache. That is true. Oh go. God, that that is Round so awful. Yeah. And speaking of which, I'm going to round out this episode because uh, you all are going weird. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us again this week. Please send in feedback on episode five as soon as you've seen the episode. And we'll discuss it next week on our discussion about The Boys Season 2, Episode 6, The Bloody Doors Off. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. Remember, write a review on Apple Podcasts and share the love because sharing the love is sharing the podcast. Subscribe at tvpodcastindustry.com for all the links everywhere you need it. Remember, you can go to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries and support us just for a dollar to help keep the mics running, the lights on and all that stuff. In the immortal words of this episode, uh, we got to go now. We certainly do. Thanks so much, fellow boys and girls, for joining us. It's a pleasure chit-chatting with you about the boys. 
Uh, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep it tantric. Nice. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.